Hello, all listeners. The world gets ready to reopen. We have an unemployment situation here in Florida and all sorts of stuff about Joe Biden. So let's get into politics today with James O'Hara. I'm your host, and let's get started. So uh, first things first, the world's beginning to reopen, um, as we can see, uh, slowly, very slowly, with this coronavirus situation seeming like it has peaked and it looks like we're on the downturn, as most of the experts are saying. Um, However, you never can be too sure with these kinds of things. Um, These pandemics, they do crazy stuff, and it looks like this one's being just as crazy as any other one would be, and we don't know exactly when things are going to open. So I will get to that point. I have more on that in a second. Um, But along with the reopening, uh, something we need to talk about, and that is if you're in the state of Florida like me, one of the big issues that we have right now is unemployment. We have millions, 33 million people across the United States are unemployed currently right now, and the unemployment situation does not look like it's getting any better at the moment, uh, especially since everything shut down. Uh, when the world shuts down, when the economy shuts down, it has a major effect on the employment situation for people in America. And the problem we're having in the state of Florida and many states are having is the unemployment system is simply not able to handle this massive influx of people who are unemployed. There's a massive amount of unemployment, and the systems that were designed to carry out the unemployment uh, system is not designed to handle that many people uh, in the system at once. So we have a system where it's overwhelmed. It was not well-built. The Governor DeSantis, the governor of the state of Florida, came out and said it was not a well-built system. They've looked into it. They have all these experts working 24-7 trying to get this thing fixed, and they just can't get it fixed. But I have a message for them, and it is, you better get it fixed now. You can't wait. People are really, really struggling out there, and unemployment's become this huge factor. And one of the things I don't understand with this unemployment is that we get so worried about using this archaic system of handing out unemployment checks to people where people have to sign up and go through all these hoops um, in order for the government to approve them when the face, the reality is that we have so many people unemployed right now and we know why they're unemployed. We're unemployed because the economy shut down intentionally by the government to enact social distancing, shelter in place, whatever you like to call it. That is why we shut down the whole entire economy and thus why we have all these people unemployed. Now, the PPP, this Paycheck Protection Program that was to be put in place by the federal government, this was supposed to be put into place so that businesses would be able to get loans from the government to maintain employment, meaning pay their workers and leave them on their employee roles, and thus they wouldn't have to go on to unemployment. And the system would not get overwhelmed if that all worked in a perfect world. Unfortunately, because of Congress and its bickering about on this situation with PPP, a lot of employers have dumped their employees into the unemployment system. Uh, Part of it is, I'm sure, selfishness on some employers that they don't want to sit around paying people who aren't working, of course, and they want to keep that PPP money for themselves to keep their businesses running, which... Uh, as, has positives and negatives to it. I'm not going to say whether they should do that or not. The other side of it is some businesses really thought, hey, if I put these people on unemployment, they're going to be able to make more money on unemployment than they would be able to make from me. They can collect that unemployment from 
the federal government and from the state, and that would then uh, give them some kind of subsistence to live off of while I focus on my business and trying to get my business to keep it up and running and things like that. So there was, there was a reason for employers uh, to do this uh, for the most part. But uh, unfortunately, the PPP, uh, even though I know the president wants to say it's such a successful program, I fortunately think it's backfired. It has not worked out the way that they really wanted it to work out. A lot of businesses have cut their employees down, have put them onto the unemployment system. The unemployment system thus is overwhelmed with these new applicants applying to it that it can't handle all the people, the millions of people who are applying, and thus can't get these payments out in any kind of timely fashion. So you have a system now where you have people still waiting to get a basic unemployment check for any amount, whether it's federal money coming into them or state money coming into them. They're waiting for it. One of the big flaws with this uh, CARES Act and this this money, that these trillions of dollars that the United States government has poured into shoring up the economy, one of the big failures of it was in this bill, it demanded that um, this federal assistance, which is $600 a week for people on unemployment, be put through the state systems and distributed through the state rather than be a direct payment from the federal government. Now, Believe me, the government sucks at everything it does. It's not very good at giving money to anybody. It's very good at taking your money, not very good at giving it back. So I understand the government was not set up to give, the federal government was not set up to hand out unemployment checks to people who are unemployed. That's a state obligation. It's something the state's supposed to do. Um, It's in the state system, but uh, it's something the state, even in its own, has a hard time with. I mean, really, our whole unemployment system is designed to try to stop people from getting unemployment. The, it's made intentionally be difficult so that when you go and apply for unemployment, you are motivated to go get a job and not be on unemployment. Unemployment is not an easy system to navigate, and it's purposely built that way, I believe. So it is tough to get on it, and thus less people get approved and more people go out there and get work, which you know, the ultimate goal, of course, is more people getting work. But in a situation where you have a national emergency, a pandemic like we do right now, that's not a reality. Because there is nowhere for people to go work. The jobs are shut down. The economy is locked. People cannot go out and go work their regular jobs. They are reliant on this unemployment money that's yet to come in in many cases. And if you're one of my friends who's listening, people I've talked to, you know that you've probably applied for unemployment and not even gotten a message back or even sometimes gotten through the actual portal to get your application in. So the system is very, very flawed. Uh, My personal opinion is they could have focused on at least getting the system to where it could accept all applications. You get those applications in, and everyone who applies gets some money. I know my conservative friends are probably sitting back going, what the heck are you talking about? Everyone gets money. Now hear me out. I think everyone who applies should get money automatically. As soon as you apply for unemployment, they should send you a certain amount, let's say for, for argument's sake, $500. So everyone who applies to the unemployment system automatically gets a $500 check sent to them, even without every all the verifications being done, all the things that have to go through the unemployment system. Now, what that would do is, one, it would get people money in their pockets immediately to pay their bills, buy groceries, do all the things they need to do with this money. That, along with the $1,200 stimulus, would have been quite a good uh, connection for them uh, quite a bit of assistance for them to start 
Now, I'm not saying it's going to fix all their problems, but it's something It was a starting point. Then you worry about going and getting through the system, getting people approved, worry about the weekly checks coming out and those kind of things. But you at least get people assistance they need right when they need it. The government can always figure out that you don't get approved for unemployment or you're trying to scam the system, and they can come back and get the money. And that's the second point I want to make with this. In Republican circles, there's been a lot of articles that have been published in The Hill and other places saying how there's a big concern with people not going back to work because they can make more money on unemployment. And a few liberal people have jumped all over this. Um, The AOCs of the world have jumped all over this, saying this is crazy that they're saying this stuff. And, And for my Republican friends out there, it makes you look bad when you say things like that. Because in the most case, it's not true. The majority of people are not going to sit at home collecting unemployment rather than work. Most people can't even get approved for unemployment and get a check coming in the first place. So when you hear certain people say, hey, these people aren't going to go back to work if they're getting all this unemployment because unemployment is going to pay them more. Well, yeah, sure, there are some positions where unemployment is going to pay you more because of that extra federal assistance. You know, someone who is making $300 a week off of state unemployment, which is much less than what their normal paycheck would be, when you augment that with $600 from the federal government, that's way more money than what they would have been making in their normal job. So, yeah, sure, it, it does have a side effect of paying people more than they would be making their job. The reality is most Americans want to work. They're hardworking people. They want to get back to work. They like providing for themselves. They don't need the government giving them unemployment, and they don't need that to live off of in normal situations. Um, and the other part is while people are saying that, they're saying this, that people are going to live off their unemployment when people aren't even getting approved for unemployment yet and even getting a check coming in the first place. So it's kind of ignorant to say, hey, these people aren't going to go back to work because they're getting more money on unemployment when, one, there's no work to go back to, and, two, most people haven't gotten approved for unemployment who applied. I mean, $33 million across the United States, a large portion of those people haven't even gotten a check. So now we've come into the point where reopening is a serious, serious thing. Getting the economy started again is huge. Now, there's been a lot of news about the reopenings happening. Uh, in the state of Florida, the governor announced that they're going to begin reopening uh, certain parts of the economy. Phase one, uh, which would be restaurants going to about 25% capacity. Some other businesses, retail businesses, being able to open as long as they keep social distancing rules. All of that beginning today, uh, Monday, May 4th. So it is beginning to reopen uh, the economy here. Uh, however, this has had a side effect. With all the talk of reopening, you're getting a double down by the media and by the anti-reopening crowd um, to say reopening will be a disaster, right? Reopening is going to be a disaster. It's going to ruin everything if they reopen. Uh, that these numbers that we're seeing aren't real numbers, even though we have more testing than we've ever had before. So the media doesn't want to tell you. We've tested more people than any other nation in the world. Um, we have more antibody testing now coming out. That have found uh, the me- most recent studies that I've read have shown that a lot more people have been exposed and have had the coronavirus than was previously thought, meaning that a lot more people have been infected with this that maybe were asymptomatic. 
and we're spreaders of this, but now we're immune and have some form of immunity from it. That changes the game. When that number starts getting into those hundreds of thousands of people who have had it, not necessarily been tested and tested positive and went to the hospital and all those other issues, that shows that this is far more prevalent in our society than was originally modeled and thought of. So a lot of the models that we're using are outdated to begin with. So, yes, people have died, and I'm not one of these people who is a coronavirus denier. I'm not someone who sits back and says this isn't real and this is nothing to be worried about and it's just like the everyday flu. The fact is we have 65,000 Americans, I think 66,000 as of today, who've died from this in about two months. That's a huge number. So this is a deadly, deadly virus. When the president came out last night in his town hall and he said that this is very serious, you know, he's lost people who are close to him and it's impacted every American's life. They know someone who has been impacted by it. He's right. This is a massive pandemic. This is something we haven't seen on the scale of since 1917. This is like the Spanish flu. This is big. It's huge. It's killing lots of people. So it's definitely something very serious. I'm not someone that's going to come in and deny and say, no, it's not, and we don't need to take precautions. I believe shutting down parts of the economy was necessary for a time. Now, remember the reason why we shut everything down. The reason why we went into shelter-at-place orders, stay-at-home orders, was because of the spread of the virus and the toll it would take on our healthcare system. Those predictions, fortunately, did not come to fruition. Right? We did not have a situation where our healthcare system was overflowing with cases, where there were massive amounts of people who were needing, you know, field hospitals. We built field hospitals. We put up hospitals in places where there were never hospitals before. We moved hospital ships to two uh, big breakout zones, which were hardly used, um, and especially not really even used for COVID patients. They were converted over to that. But we have had a situation where we have way more hospital beds than we had even before this uh, pandemic broke out. So the idea that our, our healthcare system is going to be overwhelmed by this and we're not going to be able to treat everybody, just it didn't happen, which is a good thing. That's positive. We didn't want our healthcare system to get overloaded, so we're happy that that didn't happen. But it also shows that we can begin reopening things in our economy again because even if we do have an uptick in cases, we do have the means to take care of the people who do get sick. So the idea that this will overwhelm our system is just false. It's not true. It's not going to overwhelm our system. It's not there. And that's where you see the media pivot. Now that we're leaning towards reopening our economy, which, believe me, is a must, it is not an option. It is not something that we can sit there and say, oh, we can wait another month, and we can wait in our 60 days. That's not reality. We can't wait another month. Yes, this is a virus, and yes, it's something to be taken seriously, but our economy is something to be taken very seriously. People's livelihoods are at stake here because of the shutdown in the government. The government can't afford to keep paying out trillions of dollars in stimulus money to keep this economy running when everything is shut down. It's just not a possibility. So now you see the reports that come out today. We have reports like in the New York Times that came out today. That's a, the Trump administration projects 3,000 daily deaths by early June. That the models have changed because the models were originally taking in shelter in the place and now that the economies are reopening, you're going to see this massive uptick in cases. And we're going to go from 1,700 roughly deaths a day on average 
to 3,000 deaths a day by June, and that we're going to have 300, 200,000 cases we're going to have a day of coronavirus versus the 30,000 that we had at the highest point that we've had so far in a single day. So it's, it's fear-mongering. This is straight media fear-mongering. It is to get people scared about reopening, to keep everyone on edge about reopening the economy and getting things going again. That if we reopen the economy, everyone's going to die. Well, I have a warning for you, folks. Every time you hear the media or something come out and say, everyone's going to die, and gives you this dire, dire prediction, this worst-case scenario situation, it almost 100% never happens. Because the media doesn't know anything. These people aren't scientists and doctors. Half the stuff they publish is from studies that have all sorts of different parameters and input that's put into them. These are worst-case scenario situations if everything was to break down tomorrow. And it's another reason to try to back up this idea that the government can prevent you from going out and doing things and having freedom in order for you to have some form of security at home and be safe from the virus. So the reality is that... Nothing is going to make you safe from the virus. If you never leave your house, maybe, and don't even go out, maybe you'll be safe from the virus. And you don't see anybody for the next six months, maybe you'll be safe from the virus. Keeping people who are susceptible to this virus, definitely those people should keep sheltering in place and try to increase their odds of not being in contact with the virus. But to sit around and say everyone should do this, it's just not realistic. It's not a realistic output for americans to look at not not an outlook we want so we need to get the economy back open it's necessary for the united states to continue moving forward and there's a lot of reasons for that one of the major reasons for that is china now if you've been paying attention to the news at all in the last couple days there was a report out that this virus does have connections to this uh laboratory in the wuhan province in uh, the city of Wuhan in um, China, which is a serious accusation. It means that this may have something more to do than just a regular virus that just showed up around in some kind of wet market. It has some kind of connection to China and the Chinese government. And, (coughs) excuse me, not to say that it's a virus that there was created in a lab or anything like that so far it looks like the science has pointed out it wasn't some man-made creation that it is a naturally occurring thing but that there's definitely a lot of questions revolving around china's involvement in this the government of china and moreover the government's cover-up of everything that happened and thus the delayed response with other countries the united states in particular and responding to this thing so there's more information out there that's being uncovered and being investigated that shows china was a really bad actor when it came to everything that happened with this virus. And this isn't the first time we've had an action like this, or inaction, rather, from China on a world situation, a pandemic-type situation. China's not to be trusted when it comes to this stuff. And those people who want to sit back and think, okay, you know, let's keep everything shut down for the safety of Americans, I understand where they're coming from. I'm not trying to discount their thought process. But you need to take a bigger picture Look at this. The United States, the longer it takes us to get back up in action and up and running, the worse it's going to be us, worse it's going to be for us, not just on a scale of the United States and having to do with our own economy, but the world economy as well. 
Before this virus broke out, the United States had a huge win against China. Right? We had signed a trade agreement where China was going to buy billions of dollars worth of U.S. goods. Uh, finally, this huge trade deficit that we've had with China for the last 20 years was going to start flipping over and was going to start going the other way. And we were going to start having influx of money from China. The tariffs would get to come down, which was going to help American businesses. And you were looking at this hardline stance that the Trump administration took with China was finally going to pay off. And the United States is finally going to get a fair deal with China. Well, China is this huge rival economy to the United States. And China has its view on becoming the world power. Not a world power. They want to be the world power. The sole world power on the planet. That is their goal. And it's their mindset. Their government mindset is, has been geared to that for years. We, for years, have been benefiting from this relationship with China with cheap products, cheap manufacturing, right? It's helped a lot of American businesses cut the bottom line, but it's also had massive impacts on American, uh, the American worker. We've lost good-paying jobs that have gone over to China. We have lost manufacturing jobs that were here in the United States that then went over to China. We deal with cheap uh, products from China. We deal with a lot of intellectual theft from China and Chinese companies who are uh, taking ideas from the United States that are patented and they're using them themselves and building, you know, fake versions of things and then selling them on the open market. And then the other side of it is China is spreading its tentacles into all these different areas around the world. Uh, the oil and gas industry, they're spreading into the Middle East and Africa, uh, making all these deals with other countries and using their ability as a strong economic power to have influence in all these other areas. And I'm sorry, folks, but they're not the ones we want influencing the world. All right. This is like a second coming of the Cold War. This idea, the communists in China, they are not good people. I'm talking about the government, not the Chinese people. I'm talking about the government of China, the communist government there. That's not a good thing for the world to have a, a government that doesn't believe in freedom and individual rights uh, things that we have enshrined in our Constitution, they don't have that. It's government control. They control everything. So this has a lot, there's a lot bigger playing out here than just the United States and trying to get the U.S. economy going so that people can collect a paycheck. This is far beyond that. This has to do with world, the weight of world power and the United States keeping its position as the premier world power in the world. Um, share, of course, with other nations. And the idea is hopefully that we have these nations that value things like the rule of law and individual rights, that they maintain uh, the power structure in the world because the world's better for it. We're in a better situation when countries are working together who have common values, and those values are for the, for the people and not for the government itself to continue being there. So this is a bigger world outlook than just the United States getting back on its feet. But these are the small steps that need to be taken. States need to start opening up, begin redoing, reopening their economies so people can get working. And the faster we do it, the better off we're going to be. And yes, there's a risk. There's a risk with all of this. But the risk of not opening up is so much bigger than the risk that's being taken with some people who could be getting sick. I believe that we took the right steps. 
we did things the right way. Uh, the Trump administration has been kind of on a victory tour right now, talking about all the success they've had, which I think it's good to stay positive. But I do think had the Trump administration not done certain things, we would be in far worse shape than we are today. I do think they saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives by taking action that the Trump administration took early on. So I think those are all positive things. But now is the time to reopen our economy and get things going again. So with that said, I'll get off of our economic outlook and I'll move on to the last thing that I was going to talk about today. And that is Joe Biden. And Joe Biden uh, has made the news a lot in the recent days and not just because he's a candidate for a president and looks like he's the uh, Democrat nominee, of course, but Bernie Sanders dropping out of the race. But Joe Biden has a little problem. He has this uh, sexual assault allegation against him, which is creating quite a stir. And I find it interesting that the way this is being covered. Now, you're probably going to hear that a lot from a lot of conservative uh, talking heads that oh, you know, Joe Biden's getting treated differently by the media, and it's just our opinion. But he is being treated differently by the media, 100%. I'm going to back it up with some things here in a moment. So hear me out when I talk about him being treated differently. Now, before I begin with why he's being treated differently, I do want to say this. This is not a hit piece, excuse me, a hit piece against Joe Biden. I'm not trying to beat up Joe Biden the man. All right. Now, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. I'm not planning to vote for Joe Biden. I'll be honest with you. Uh, But I do believe Joe Biden's a good person. I don't think he's this evil guy that's being made out to be something. The boogeyman um, who's terrible. I do think he's in a a pretty bad situation with this uh, presidential election. I think that he's got a lot of issues health-wise that are kind of being ignored and thrown on the back burner in order for him to try to get the presidency. And that's a a story for another time with his cognitive abilities. Uh, But I do think Joe Biden is a good person. Now, I I know Joe Biden's history. I know a little bit about um, things that he's done. I've I've heard him speak many, many times. Um, And I will say that from what I've heard, he's he's very uh, a good man. He was very bipartisan in, in many respects and many things in the Senate. I think he was a good senator. Um, I think he served us well as vice president. I don't think he's a, a bad person by any means. But let's get to the sexual assault allegations. So for those of you who have not followed this, uh, one of Joe Biden's staffers when he was in the Senate um, has accusing him of a sexual assault that happened uh, 27 years ago. Um, so quite a while ago where uh, she said that he did some things that were pretty bad and she reported them um, apparently a little late. So uh, that's the allegation. You can look at the allegation on your own, find out more details on it. I won't get into the details of it. But the how the media is covering this allegation is interesting. Now, I take uh, a very different approach in many people. I remember the Judge Kavanaugh hearings um, a few years ago, and I remember how the media approached them. I was very vocal uh, about my disagreement with the treatment of Justice Kavanaugh and how he was treated in the media and in his uh, Senate hearings, and uh, you know, even ridiculed on Saturday Night Live and many, many very, very funny skits, uh, which Justice Kavanaugh was in, but he was mistreated. He had an allegation against him for sexual misconduct. 
um, that dated far longer than 27 years, going all the way back to his, uh, his college and high school days, um, that were completely unsubstantiated. It was one person's word against him with no evidence to back it up whatsoever. But the media would not let that go. They made the mere idea of an allegation be the end-all, be-all of their case. Uh, This was in the heart of the Me Too movement, this push that all women need to be believed no matter what the viewpoint is or or what the allegation is, uh, and just be believed on their face without any evidence or anything supporting it. That was the standard that was put forward on Justice Kavanaugh during his hearings. And there are hours uh, that you could play of Democrat politicians like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris just ridiculing, asking these questions, ridiculing Justice Kavanaugh and telling him that they believe uh, Christine Blasey Ford, who is giving these, uh, giving the allegation, that they believe her and that she doesn't need to show any kind of evidence, that he needs to disprove uh, the things that she is saying about him, even though she has no evidence for it, and that's not the way due process works, right? Due process is not a place where you have to prove you're innocent of anything. The person accusing you needs to prove that you did it beyond a reasonable doubt, not the other way around. You don't need to prove that you didn't do something. That's not how this works in the American system of justice, right? So this allegation uh, is being covered differently. And how it's being covered differently, I, I was pretty happy to see the approach that uh, Mika Brzezinski did on, on NBC and Morning Joe, the show. She interviewed Joe Biden. She says how uh, you know she gave a very, very, I think, strong line of questioning, asking Joe Biden if there was any truth in his allegations. And, of course, Joe Biden denied everything and was saying he didn't do this. And he used some of the many of the same arguments that even Justice Kavanaugh was ridiculed for using, uh, saying things like, this is 27 years old and there's no evidence that I did anything. All those were same arguments that were being made for Justice Kavanaugh, but they didn't matter back then. They weren't considered good arguments. They were, you have to believe Christine Blasey Ford no matter what. But in this case, woman Tara Reid is not to be believed on the face. We are to assume that she is not telling the truth and that there needs to be some kind of evidence in order to substantiate her claim. And that's what the media is now using, which I do agree with. I believe that's due process. And I believe that Joe Biden is being treated fairly when it comes to this. I think he's being treated fairly. I think the media is using a double standard, though. They're treating Joe Biden one way where they would treat a Republican in the same position a completely different way. And I'll tell you how you know. In every sentence that you see in any article or in any interview, when they begin talking about Joe Biden and the allegations uh, uh, that are being levied against him, There's always a pivot to include President Trump. Now, mind you, Tara Reid is not accusing President Trump of doing anything. All right? President Trump is not being accused by Tara Reid of doing a single thing. She's accusing Joe Biden of doing something. The only comparison that can be made between Joe Biden and President Trump is that they were both presidential candidates that had sexual allegation, uh, sexual assault allegation uh, levied against them. Uh, Multiple women with with President Trump. 
and uh, he denied them and he did all sorts of things. And whether we want to believe President Trump or not, there he's the president and he got elected. And those things were out there before he got elected. They were well known. Um, with that's the only comparison you can make between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That's that's it. I mean, that, the fact that they're both presidential candidates, both have an allegation against them. Now, if you put President Trump or President or you know President Trump versus uh, presidential candidate. Uh, Joe Biden and try to say whose is worse, then, of course, all day long, you can point at Trump and say Trump's the worst. Trump has way worse of a record when it comes to women than it comes to Joe Biden. I mean, you can say that all you want if you want to talk about allegations of sexual misconduct, right? There's more allegations against President Trump when he was a presidential or you know, when he was running for president from his past than there are for Joe Biden running for president from his past. So if it was a competition, you would have President Trump winning in that regard but that's not what this is about this is about a credible allegation being levied against a presidential candidate and how every time it's brought up that there's something to happen with joe biden it immediately trump is brought into the situation and that's something to think about why every time is trump brought up i mean amy walter who is a a reporter for the uh, cook political report she was on msnbc uh, or NBC's Meet the Press, I'm sorry, uh, the other day on Sunday. And she was asked about this, and she brought up, oh, well, it's tough for Democrats who are supporters of the Me Too movement to then have to then support uh, a candidate who's been accused of a sexual assault like Joe Biden. Um, but it's no different than evangelists who have to support a uh, presidential candidate like Trump who was accused of sexual misconduct. Now, why was that ever included in the analysis? Why did it matter that Trump running for president, had sexual misconduct allegations against him. When we're talking about Joe Biden, he's a separate person. He's his own entity. He's his own human. He is his own presidential candidate. He does not have anything to do with President Trump. So why is that being brought up in every single comparison? I mean, every single one. I haven't seen a single analysis yet where they simply just talk about Joe Biden, the allegations against him. The only one I've seen when they haven't pivoted to include President Trump in some way in the conversation, as if to remind Americans that there was an accusation against President Trump, to try to put both of them on this level playing field in the, uh, in the election, the only time I have not seen that happen was when they have called for the DNC, Democrat National Committee, to investigate these things being done being accused of joe biden so the uh, allegation to be investigated by the dnc the new york times has called for that they called for the dnc to investigate it which wouldn't make much sense for the democrats to investigate their own candidate i'm sure if the rnc came out and said that they were going to do an investigation and uh, to russian collusion with president trump uh, people would be up in arms about it they would say how could or the republican party investigate their own candidate how could they possibly do that, right, and be fair and balanced in their investigation? Well, the same thing can be levied against the DNC. It's absolutely preposterous to think that the Democrat National Committee can investigate an allegation against their own presidential candidate and for that to be any kind of unbiased investigation. I mean, this is politics we're talking about. This is circle the wagons around your candidate, defend them at all costs. That's what the DNC is going to do. So you're not going to carry out an investigation. That's the only time I heard anything discussed where they did not bring up Donald Trump's name. Otherwise... The president's brought up in every single one of these arguments against 
the allegations to be investigated. I mean, it got to the point even on Meet the Press where uh, it was brought up that there wasn't time for an investigation and people didn't have the stomach for an investigation of a presidential candidate. Well, I found that pretty remarkable. We had a presidential candidate that was investigated for years while running and then investigated for years after becoming president and is still being called for investigations into all sorts of things. The latest is investigations in the carrying out of the coronavirus response. That wants to be, they, the Democrats want to investigate that. Meanwhile, mind you, the Democrats in Congress had still not come home back to Washington to do their jobs. They're still staying away. The, the Senate went into session today. And they are still at their districts at home because they're afraid to come because of the virus. Uh, meanwhile, the work that needs to be done is not being done. However, they have plenty of time to sit there and talk about how they need to investigate the president of the United States. So it shows you where the Democrats in the House of Representatives' priorities lay. They lay in investigations and electioneering and campaigning for their presidential candidate, not in protecting and defending the American people. That's something you need to always remember. When you see the actions, they speak way louder than words. When Nancy Pelosi comes down and says, Joe Biden will be Joe Biden, and I support Joe Biden, and I don't believe this woman. Those are just words. The actions, they're still investigating. They're still doing things against Trump. They're still looking at Joe Biden to win the election. That's all they care about. They're not going to come out and ever say anything bad against their presidential candidate. And it's not to be expected for the Democrats to do that. But calling for the DNC to investigate them, that's ridiculous. It's the media's job to do this, to vet the candidates, to put forward the information that needs to be put forward. They did a hell of a job vetting President Trump and putting information out there, even most of the times when it was false. Justice Kavanaugh was dragged through the mud on a daily basis by the media who would publish every single report from anybody who said anything bad about them. They would give all this airtime to the the, the uh, committee meeting where they were just bashing Justice Kavanaugh time and time again, but you don't have the stomach for it when it comes to Joe Biden. And they don't have time to do it when it comes to Joe Biden. And they won't mention the allegations on their own against Joe Biden, but they'll always bring in President Trump in every argument. That's how the media manipulates the information and supports a presidential candidate. Refusing to do one thing for a presidential candidate and have a different standard for another one, that is the MO of the media. So um, to sum up today, hopefully we get reopened and we get our economy back up and running as soon as possible. There are bigger things at stake than just uh, people getting maybe sick and what's happening there. We really are talking about world issues here that are happening we have a candidate running for office, which I believe has a credible sexual assault allegation, which the media should cover just like they would cover anybody else. Um, and the Florida needs to get their unemployment system up and running and get people the checks they need so we can get those people back to work and their bills paid and bring some calmness to our situation. So as Mike Pence would say, hopefully this happens sooner rather than later and we heal our nation. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, please, if you have any comments for me, drop them in the comment box. I really appreciate it. I try to use as much constructive feedback as I can. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I will see you guys later.